And again, on that point of transparency and honesty, I can understand why people are reticent to. We haven't like developed in a system where it's okay to talk about your failures. Totally. Um, and maybe we should normalise that a bit more. Welcome to Bruce News Week, recorded on 7 April 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Australian Bruce News, and I'm joined by senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Welcome back to you both. Hey, Matt. Hi, Matt. How are we? Happy Thursday. Happy yeah. Thursday, yes. Yeah. Not too shabby. So we, uh, Claire's better, but and none of us have COVID, so... Uh, oh, thank the Lord. Winning. Winning, yes. <laughs> well, let's roll in. Now, Claire, mm. Carbon Neutral Capital launches industry template. It has indeed. So this week, Capital Brewing Co. announced that it was 100% carbon neutral in its products and um, organisation. And it also launched, uh, in conglomeration with uh, Pangolin Associates, a template for other brewers to allow them to calculate their own carbon emissions. Capital engaged Pangolin Associates uh, to conduct a life cycle assessment of its entire operations, uh, covering direct and indirect, as well as upstream, downstream, raw materials, um, water use, staff commuting, and even office supplies. Um, So they did the full job. Uh, And to help uh, other breweries go down this route, uh, they've also launched this template, which gives Pangolin, who are basically auditors and calculate carbon emissions, uh, a much better idea of brew businesses and how they work. Um, so hopefully we'll streamline that process uh, should other brewers want to do it. Nice. And uh, some of our, I mean, sustainability is a big thing for us, but so is non-alcoholic beer and a non-alcoholic XPA complaint dismissed by ABAC. It has. We have had a quiet beginning to 2022, relatively speaking, uh, in terms of adjudications for craft beer. But um, in the past month or so, uh, ABAC has ruled on a about two or three beer-related complaints, and um, it dismissed a complaint regarding no alcohol beer from Hop Nation. It was a billboard advert. Um, But interestingly, in that adjudication, ABAC decided that because it was not immediately clear to a passerby that the beer on the billboard was non-alcoholic, it was actually judged as any normal alcoholic beverage. It was still dismissed, the complaint was still dismissed, um, because in the end they basically ruled that it didn't encourage or depict drinking while undertaking a high-risk activity. Uh, But it was interesting that, um, you know, we've discussed signifiers of alcohol, how big and bold do they need to be how obvious do they need to be and in this case the non-alcoholic wasn't um, as big as they'd want it to be they also ruled on a beer labeled as a double ipa which ended up being in breach of the code and uh, Bundaberg's alcoholic ginger beer um, also faced a panel over a television ad first was upheld and the second was dismissed now it's something that we probably should have put up one, uh, uh, this week you wrote a great Brewery Pro <laughs> article looking at becoming a B Corp brewery, yep. which is another sustainability. I'm actually glad that we did separate them a bit because they are relatively different. Um, and it was really interesting to delve into the difficulties and benefits of, of both of them. Mm. Um, and this one was de- definitely more a Brewery Pro, more advice rather than um, the news from Capital. So uh, we d- took a little bit of a deep dive into this with Four Pines and um, Sawmill Brewery in New Zealand, which is actually the only independent B Corp in Australia and New Zealand, um, which is very impressive. So well done, Sawmill. Um, but it, yeah, looked at the difficulties, the benefits potentially. They talked about efficiencies also the difficulties for um, a company like Four Pines who received its B Corp uh, certification and then actually got bought so a B Corp uh, certification looks at a number of areas community workers 
um, environment, uh, governance, and there's one more customers. It covers a huge holistic range of things across a business. Uh, so a lot of breweries think, you know, it could be a really onerous undertaking. Uh, but Kirsty at Sawmill, um, she even suggested just to have a look at the impact assessment, just not even necessarily to go down that path, but to have a look at ways that you can um, bring efficiencies into your brewery. Nice and interesting article. Great to hear from both Four Pines and Sawmill. Um, so thanks for that. Both of them. New South Wales CDS price rise, but no change in the ACT. Yes, so Exchange for Change, uh, the scheme organisers of container deposit schemes in New South Wales and the Australian Capital Territory, have updated container prices. In ACT, prices have remained fixed for an additional six months um, after they transitioned to a fixed price by material type in February this year. So that will remain 12.23 cents um, for invoices in the six-month period from August 2022 to January 2023. There's a whole list of aluminium um, PET glass. Um, so go and have a look at that. Uh, however, in New South Wales, um, the new weighted average price per eligible container will be 11.71 cents. And the aluminium and glass has gone up in that. So that'll be important um, for brewers to be aware of. And there's always more details in the article itself, which you'll find a link to in the show notes. And finally, more of a um, public service announcement, um, another sour beer recall, fruited sour recall. It has indeed. So Revel Brewing uh, Co. has recalled its pine lime sour ale over risks of unintended secondary re-fermentation. Um, it's 375 milliliter cans um, in four and 16 packs were available at vintage sellers and independent liquor retailers in Craft Cartel. Revel had a recall plan in place and contacted Queensland Health and Food Standards uh, immediately after realising there was an issue. Um, so we spoke to the team at Revel just about how um, what happened and how that happened and what they did to rectify that. Uh, obviously, they had an IBA recall plan in place, um, so that helped the situation quite a bit as well. And that was all the news you need to stay abreast of what's important in the Australian brewing industry. And with that, we'll go below the fold. If you're looking for labels for your cans or bottles or your cartons or anything to do with packaging, give our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging a call. They're not just able to supply you with the labels for your cans or bottles, but also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. The guys often get asked... Where would a brewery buy a shrink sleeving machine to apply these sleeves for their cans? But you don't need to. The cans come to your door palletised and ready to fill, nothing more to do. Give them a call on 1300 852 235 to discuss further. And as always, you'll find them in the Australian Brews News uh, Business Directory or in the show notes. Now, below the fold, anything from the news this week that anyone wants to uh, weigh in on? You know, for me... You step back and look at all of the sustainability conversations that are happening right now. So we had Helios in Brisbane win a sustainability mm-hmm. award. You've got that really good conversation, Claire, that you just had um, with Rocky Ridge that had some really helpful tips in it. And it certainly seems that if you're a brewery out there, there is now a swathe of material mm-hmm. <laughs> on what you can do. And, you know, part of your conversation was it seems overwhelming, but the consistent theme seems to be take a step mm-hmm. just like pick one yep. thing and get started yep. and so I can imagine if you're a small brewery it just seems 
like entirely overwhelming. When you could barely do your main operation. That's what, yeah, I was thinking like <laughs> even just, I mean, not to be cynical, but if you go, okay, well, the IBA have got a toolkit over here. Capital have got a document over here. B Corp yep. have got an assessment over there. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just would feel, I mean, you've got multiple days work just to figure out mm-hmm. kind of where to start. So yep. you really have to have clarity in your mind that this is something important for your business to do so that was sort of the big thing that I thought of you know as I was listening to all of it there's there's clearly lots of help out there but it's still going to be a considered length of Mm -hmm. effort for small businesses in particular to start taking that step. Kirsty said it took her two years and part-time and she was like it it was a huge job, like a massive job. That's to get, get B Corp yeah, certified. Yeah, to get B Corp certified um, at Sawmill. And it was really interesting to see that process that she went through. And yeah, we made the point off air that part of the narrative around doing things like this, doing sustainability um, projects, is that it does bring efficiencies into your brewery, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously great, but you don't necessarily count that time cost of you researching it and looking into it and then figuring out what you need and then collecting all that documentation and, you know, that must be a massive expense on its own. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, there were a couple of really interesting comments in there about um, B Corps in Australia likely, you know, it feels like there might be a glut coming because people have been working on them for that length of time and also their business maturity is at a stage where they've got some money to invest in some of the things they need to do so um you know so there's this whole business maturity thing that comes along the scale but when we look at the number of small breweries that are going to be opening theoretically in Australia over the next however long you know the 130 that are Mm -hmm. in the pipeline on the list list, um you know it really sort of seems to say that there's got to be you're almost better off thinking about it before you open and putting those things in place mm-hmm. than trying to do it once you're operating and you don't. nobody's got any bandwidth to think about anything. And it would be more expensive to retrofit, I would imagine, as oh, well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and not to, to not have the brewery even, you know, things like um, wastewater that uh, Rocky Ridge talked about. You know, if you haven't figured out what you're going to do with your wastewater drainage is often a huge problem when you're putting in a brewery in particular in a um, urban or manufacturing light industrial area, mm-hmm. making sure that you've got the correct drainage and wastewater and so on and so forth. If you haven't got a plan for what you're going to do with that, you're not going to capture it. So you're not even looking for the right space, mm-hmm. you know, at the outset. So yep. it's a, it is it is one of those things that says if that's the path you want to go down, which obviously – globe is saying we should go down mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of sustainability <laughs> then it is one of those things that it would be better to plan up front yeah definitely you know? and like um talking to matilda bay the other week about uh being carbon neutral they were very open with the fact that you know they because they had a basically a blank slate they could do this from scratch yeah like they didn't have to as we say retroactively mm. ret- or retrofit anything they started from the beginning saying this is what we want to do and we can install solar and we can do this and we can do that to bring these efficiencies in I want I would like to hear maybe from someone who's in that process and who's having to do that and see how hard that is and I know um, when I looked at it in New Zealand you know one of the challenges was so if you're in a a rural semi-rural area or light industrial and you can put on uh, I think Matt you went to Hawks the other day that have got 
What have they got on their roof you were talking they, about? I got to Hawks uh, during the week and just the tour of the brewery. They've got solar panel on the roof. They've got... Um, they, they've just opened the Hawk Beer and Leisure Centre, which is next level. Love to it talk looks about amazing. that. But the, the the brewery itself, they have a hydroponic garden set up in uh, con, you know, in partnership with University of Technology Sydney, I believe. Um, and they pass the CO two from the mm-hmm. brewing process into it, um, which you know is, is then used. By the growing plants, and then the plants are used in their Chinese restaurants. Oh, I love that. Um, well, that's fascinating because Rocky Ridge were just saying they haven't figured out what to do with their. They're going to have more carbon in their capture mm-hmm. than they, they know, know what, what to, to do with. with. <laughs> and so the roof garden is, um, you know, so so. And they're uh, on a farm. eighteen months ago, Claire did a story looking at carbon capture and weather because mm-hmm. it's got a lot of other gases in, and yep. you, you can't yep. just sort of pump you it back into beer. So there filter is, it and yeah, make it food grade if you want to put it back into beer and also yeah, all sorts of things. And some breweries, like I believe the Tui Brewery in Sydney and a lot of the German breweries do that. But um, the, the other thing about Hawks is they were looking at their water usage because the, the, the whole central premise of the Hawks brand is that they're giving money to Land Care Australia, which is the land charity yeah. that Bob Hawke established. Um, and as I said, it's on, like they can't not do it. So it's, you can see the way that they've planned the brewery around doing this. And so I think their water usage was... Certainly under four litres per litre of beer produced, I think it was three and a half was the figure that they gave, um, which is on, I think the industry average is closer to 10. Well, because uh, Rocky Ridge were 2.8. Yes, wow. 2 point okay. something. 2.4, oh, 2.8, something that was yeah, yeah. they were saying was, was the equivalent of very large scale brewers. Yeah, um, yeah. I've never can, seen that. But at a small to medium is really like leading edge. So, mm. so yeah. You know that all, all of that, but but I guess sort of where I was going. So, so from New Zealand, I'd be interested to see what you say uh, um, in terms of where Hawks sits in terms of its um, the type of building that it's in or the area that's in. But often, very small bre- microbreweries in retail or urban centres haven't got the space for rooftop gardens, mm-hmm. for solar. Yep. So it's actually technically much harder for them to figure out how they can offset some of their... Yep. Definitely their emissions. Our, our emissions mm-hmm. or other costs or fix their wastewater because they're in these little tiny buildings. Yep. And we saw that in downtown Wellington, for example, where you've got these little ones in central cities. Mm-hmm. It, they just don't have the same scope as being out in a bigger space mm. yep. that allows you to do some of the things. But the true. industry is expanding and, you know, we're still getting media releases from, you know, breweries that think it's newsworthy that they're going from plastic to, you know, they're, they're six-pack holders, for example. Mm. Um, and then, you know, one particularly this week has gone back to plastic because the, <laughs> you know, the, the sugarcane recycled thing yep. didn't work. Um, and, you know... If if, if 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 that is what you're trump, I mean that that is about a media release. It's not really about sustain- everything helps, but it's these businesses that are building you know carbon neutrality into the whole business model. You know, looking at B Corp super, uh, you know um, certification, and then you know looking at their whole model. And that that was the thing about um, Hawks when you looked through it. They had thought about every element, and you know they had this small little canning line because the the, the brewery is still a certain size, but the packaging um, equipment that they had for the cardboard wraps, you know, was so far above what their needs are now. But it means that they're using cardboard in the wrapping rather than plastic. It's almost like trickle down sustainability. So we need some of those. 
thought leading enterprises mm-hmm. that have the space, the time, the capacity, the mm-hmm. know-how to figure out some of these things and to trial, you know, like yeah. we can say you went to cardboard and then you went to you went back to the Pactech recycle mm. balls, but at least everybody's trying something, right? Mm-hmm. And so I go, there's all these little micro tries, that's fine, yep. because that means there's constant innovation and learning and we need some of those big guys to be doing things mm-hmm. and putting out templates yep. and so sharing on and so forth. Sharing the knowledge. Sharing the, the knowledge. sharing the knowledge. Mm. Don't, exactly. And w- w- which is kind of the issue here, um, that it's kind of like, well, this failed, but there's no discussion. You know, no one puts out immediately is going, well, actually, this is what we learned about right. our trial. But I think that's part of, um, y- you know, not to go down another tangent, but um, that's my jam. <laughs> um, you know, well, I had this conversation recently in regards to something completely different around beer judging. But it's actually being honest to talk about strengths and weaknesses mm. and failures. And, mm. you know, we had that – you had that conversation with – was it Nick Cogger around yep. um, – better, better beer. Better being willing to fail. Like mm-hmm. He described his litany of failures. Yeah. Um, and you're going <laughs> – my word's not his. But he did talk about it in that sense yep. because – no one is 100% successful. And, and it comes back to, you know, what we had in the context of, um, you know, the stuff that came up around um, sexism allegations and issues in the industry, this concept of courageous conversations. But it really all, all boils down to everybody speaking more openly and transparently mm-hmm. about all the things, yep. right? Like share the knowledge about mm-hmm. what's happening, talk about what fails, talk about what your needs are, you, you know, like it really actually yeah. comes down to something quite fundamental. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we're seeing a stronger engagement with that uh, across all aspects of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, these types of examples. But I think, you know, if you're a really small brewery, if you're one of the 130 in planning, I guess if we stepped back, we Brews News team, and looked at all of the material that you've been diving into, Claire, all the conversations you guys have been having, we'd be saying – grab some of these tools now, mm-hmm. <laughs> take a look at them yep. and pick one or two things that you think you can implement before mm-hmm. you get started. Yeah. I mean, again, easier said than done when you're trying to get a DA over the line or find a brew kit that's not going to take two years to get here or whatever. But you're right, it would be lovely if we could. And again, on that point of transparency and honesty, I can understand why people are reticent to. We haven't like developed in a system where it's okay to talk about your failures totally um and maybe we should normalize that a bit more yeah and that's part of this sort of innovation ecosystem right i mean if you if you're ever part of any of those i know we've used the word accelerator in a less positive way but if you're part (laughs) of ever any of those innovation or accelerator things outside of beer certainly you know iterative fail fast is you know a real um, mantra so you know, I, I just think it's all fascinating because, and the reason I just want to loop the next story in, if I can, yep. Matt, is my dearth of criticism for these CDS schemes, um, which, you know, Claire and I had a bit of a conversation offline mm-hmm. um, because I was uh, with the Guild when we were responsible, Brewers Guild in New Zealand, responding to the initial comments around waste management that has ultimately led to the New Zealand government wanting to implement a CDC scheme for 20 cents a container. Um, And we were talking about, you know, are the bottles and cans that you put into your yellow recycling bin Mm -hmm. counted towards the CDC scheme um, because 
in New South Wales, there's a direct correlation between people using the scheme mm-hmm. and an increase in price to manufacturers. Mm-hmm. So from a brewing industry perspective, we're saying less people are returning their cans and bottles through mm-hmm. the scheme yep. and therefore it costs us as the manufacturer more. Oh. But Claire, am I right in saying that if you are recycling your stuff at home, where you do not get in your car to mm-hmm. drive your containers and to get a, your ten cents back. Yeah, mm-hmm. get your ten cents back. Those containers are not considered as part of captured from the scheme. I believe not. There will be people that know much better. So hey, if anybody know, thinks otherwise or knows otherwise, do let me know. But I'm pretty sure they don't right. count towards that. So because no one's getting ten cents back for that. So it's just so, so a manufacturer has paid on their cds yeah. charge on that can but it doesn't go through the system so that's just like free money for the cds game so what's insane about that is that so in new south wales because there's been lockdowns people are recycling at home yeah so they are not going out they're not going out so they are recycling as in putting their product where we've told them to put it for the last 10 15 years mm-hmm. in a yellow bin mm-hmm. And so even if they're doing that 100% of the time, the costs of the CDS scheme can go up. Yeah. Because instead of diverting it from that bin into a collection point, that's insane. (laughs) So how – The whole thing is, and every time I talk to a brewer about it, especially a brewer who who distributes interstate, they're like, oh, my God, we have to do this X amount of time. It just feels like a solution to a problem that didn't really exist – in, in, in our industry, yeah, um, water bottles, you know, like the, the plastic water bottles um, and things mm-hmm. that were scattering the streets, you still see, you know, people yeah. moving and, and the, the solution that seems to be moving towards recycled or yeah. you know, carrying reusable, your own water bottle, which increasingly yeah. people reusable are, containers. Yep. are doing. But beer, like you don't see beer. Well, that's because, I mean, in so many places, you can't drink. In mm. the street, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So you're not carrying yeah. that container and around with you. And also, oh, don't can designs started. are gorgeous, so why would I just lob that? I've got like a collection at home. <laughs> We've got a collection on our desk. <laughs> it's, it, it is this thing. I mean, you know, I know that in New Zealand I just got so cranky about the whole thing because <laughs> when you actually looked into it, the solution was standardising curbside recycling. Mm. But that's really, really difficult when you've got um, – at a national level in New Zealand, and so here it would be on a state-based level, multiple local governments who do not, who all operate differently. Yep. And in fairness, in a country like Australia, need to operate differently because of the significant geographical differences in the way that they they work. But actually, standardising curbside recycling, so mm-hmm. at home recycling, would have the biggest impact yep. on overall uptake. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was too difficult to implement. <laughs> what instead can happen is, hey, and, and I'm not suggesting that there hasn't been a time where manufacturers have gone, fuck it, we don't care. Like mm-hmm. our job is to sell the product and what happens at the end. So there has to be a bit of a, a change there, which has mm-hmm. definitely been brought about by this. But you look at this CDC scheme stuff and you go, lack of participation mm-hmm. Increases cost to manufacturers. Manufacturers have got no control over whether people participate in the scheme. Yeah. So they're supposed to force people. You can't imagine if a brewer started a campaign saying, don't recycle anything, put them in the. I hope we haven't got that wrong. I could probably be, you know, for the, the amount of cans and bottles that I throw out, 
I could be making a substantial. If I could be arse driving, <laughs> you mean you mean admitting making carbon emissions to drive it making instead of walking down to a bin when petrol's two dollars a litre. Driving, mean. you know, eight kilometres to the nearest CDS scheme, um, but yeah, like it, it, it's just nonsense. And it's also, I mean, we know that we see people do it with like the pack text. Like a lot of the breweries have now got bring it back. So if we sell yep. you a four pack next time you come, bring it back, and that's why growlers are great. The you know. Pack tech, but maybe it's hey, bring us your bottles and cans back, and we'll recycle it, and all the ten cents go to Fred's. There's a huge it's cultural just, thing because you were talking about Germany, you yeah. know, and it always intrigues mm-hmm. me when you go to a German brewery, and you know the bottles all get washed, and yeah. the labels just come off because they use a different glue, mm-hmm. you know, which is why Water it's terrible. Glue, like if you go to a party with label. a German beer here, yeah. um, and the label comes, comes off, off in the esky because Germans <laughs> don't use esky, so the cultural things are different. But then the you know so the the bottles then go through washing yep. plants because there's a fund. Mm-hmm. But that. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm presuming that the technology that's involved in doing that would probably be problematic for a startup craft brewery to institute that level of, you know, if you have to have the washing and government cleaning. government body would say, that's not hygienic, you yes. can't do that. So, yeah. uh, so you can do some of that with, so growlers, for example, that they're not washed on site, right? So that's yeah. part of why you can get around that from a food safety perspective because yeah. mm-hmm. you're just refilling a container that someone brings you. Yeah, and it's their responsibility it, to it, clean that container or It whatever. is, but German beer is also, um, so back to, I know people think I keep harping on about why have we moved away from glass, but... Um, <laughs> You don't. You haven't seen that same movement um, for pure beer. So they have all these weird mixes, which mm-hmm. is you know um, beer and cola and beer and Fanta and so on and so forth in Ooh. cans. Um, but you know, real beer is still predominantly in bottles, and part of the reason I'm sure is because the infrastructure is there through their standard bottle return scheme. Like mm-hmm. when I was living there, you. you you drive down to the place and you buy your beer in crates and then you buy your water in crates and you it, it, mm-hmm. you, you buy it all at the same time and then you take you go back with the crates a week later or however yep. long it takes yeah. you. So it's a completely different life. The, there is a whole yeah. s- mm-hmm. societal yep. difference thread but, that has to go through to make it work there. That's right, and and they haven't moved. You know, it's not like they've got a craft beer movement that has gone to cans because they need to be shipped with design in, in quite the same way that Australia has mm-hmm. or New Zealand has, right? Like it's just a yep. different beer drinking culture altogether. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it takes a long time to sort of engender that kind of change in people's habits, people's recycling habits, people's drinking habits. Like this would take a seismic change it, in it, how we do things over here. It would, but I d- what I, when I saw this increase, I was like, okay, well, what as an industry collective in New South Wales do you do to get uptake up so that your costs as a manufacturer go down, mm-hmm. right, which is obviously what the scheme is trying to do. Yeah. It is trying to get you as the manufacturer to encourage use of the scheme. Mm-hmm. So – so no individual brewery can do that, but what could a collective of people do? What would a a, a marketing or an, an initiative? I mean, someone, one of you guys mentioned off air that there was a, a promotion. Yeah, I was uh, in the car this morning on the way in and uh, they were promoting, they had like 250K to give out to people if they recycled at CDS points. In Queensland. In Queensland. But hold on, why are you encouraging people to take out of the yellow bin stream 
Um, yes, it's it's actually so locally, but it, but it's you know, it, nationally we have a uh, recycling yeah. um, mm-hmm. thing. Is there any data to say that the CDS scheme is better for recycling? You know, like is it cleaner waste? It's easier to recover, or is it just the government has gone? Well, we want to be seen to be doing something, and so we've created the CDS scheme. Mm-hmm. Is there any data around that? Yeah, so um, I can only speak to what I looked into in uh, New Zealand, but I do think there are different. That there was such a variation between local governments mm-hmm. in terms of the level of. Um, effort and then recycling. How much they wanted to get involved, how much money they had to throw at that kind of thing. So how much they separated mm-hmm. the waste at the end, what their sorting facilities were like. So it did really depend on a um, local council by local council mm-hmm. um, area. And so there was data in, and I'm sure that the proponents of a CDS scheme would argue that there is greater recyclability of the products coming through, collected through the container return scheme. And I'd actually be surprised if that was the case because I'm pretty sure the cans end up at the same place that your recycling ends up. So do we have... <laughs> so I don't think they go through an entirely separate recycling facility. This is a really stupid, maybe it's not a stupid question, but in Australia, do we have an aluminium... Recycling? Or does it no, all get shipped to China? I believe it gets yeah, shipped it gets overseas. Shipped to, yeah, so that, yeah. I mean, so that's the case in New Zealand, right? So my when I was writing all the proposals and getting furious about it. And we, and this is why I come back to B Corp, carbon neutral, so on and so mm-hmm. forth, right? So we're doing all this recycling. But know how, where have we actually addressed the end-of-life problem mm-hmm. for cans yep. in Australia? So we cannot end-of-life yep. recycle those. Mm-hmm. We then put it on a boat mm-hmm. and ship it elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we can – Process glass here, though. Yeah, it we is can process thing. glass. So, sure, but as an industry, we've moved away from glass. But yeah. and th- th- these, and these so are the hidden challenges, and and, and again, like that's why I raised that six pack holder. It's yeah. very easy to put out a media release saying we've done this, and here's you know, and this is why it's awesome as a one off thing, as an individual promotion for your brewery sustainability in a meaningful way that actually achieves the planet-saving goals that we're looking for is much, much deeper. And so... It's incredibly complex. Every brewery that switched to aluminium cans eight years ago, you know, starting eight years ago, I'll pull out the media releases that talk about how much better for the environment cans are. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of like going, your first-use can is actually worse than first-use glass, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yes, Um, because it's virgin aluminium, so it's gone through the The amount of electricity that aluminium uses, uh, you know, particularly back then. But anyway, I I think we've done enough of this, but it's just highlighting the (laughs) questions. We've got so much to talk about. And if listeners, um, because I know that there are breweries that listen that have done a lot uh, of work into this. If you've got any thoughts and feedback and there are people that work in the sustainability industry. um, Tips and tricks that you think that we should Exactly, and we'll report on them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Maybe we should, uh, you know, look to capital and some of those breweries to uh, give over some of the space to to them identifying some of the challenges that they've solved. Mm God, I thought we were going to run under time. Um, up until, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a very, like, again, it is literally a, 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 an industry and, you know, planet-saving uh, conversation we need to have. Um, now, do we want to talk about ABAC? Yep. Alcohol-free do. continues to be a yes. bet noir for, for ABAC? Yes, and this was the one where um, you read some of the complaints and you think, mm, are you 
are you well versed in ABAC or well, are you absolutely. not? Absolutely. When you some look, of, they actually referenced them, other yeah, complaints. Exactly. And this is some where of them are like, oh, this is going to hurt our young people. Full stop. And you're like, okay, so you're not very like sophisticated as a complainant. But well, that's I'm going to say on this um, <laughs> is yeah, like when you look at Fair, which says we're not going to participate in the review of ABAC, mm-hmm. we're not going to put a submission because that legitimises mm-hmm. something that we don't, and yet the vast majority of the mm-hmm. complaints come from people who are allied to FAIR. Council, council, et cetera. They're yeah. using the ABAC process to create precedent-based mm-hmm. rulings that bind the industry and creating a bigger change for the industry through the ABAC process that they refuse to participate in. Mm-hmm. Heavily air-quoted there. <laughs> um, but, and but it is a fascinating, this, this whole, and we've discussed it previously, this whole space around non-alcohol because mm-hmm. it's not... We don't. We as an industry don't have clarity around treatment mm-hmm. within retailers. We don't have clarity yep. about where to stock it, and so this space, because it's so novel, is going to continue to be, yeah, a source of it'll be challenge a, yep. for breweries in terms of how to market, and then challenge you, like it's you can see it going on for some time. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and I mean the point about it not necessarily being obvious that it was a non-alcoholic beer and thus they treated it like an alcoholic beer. I agree. Was, yeah, completely fair, but also something that brewers should totally be aware of. If you haven't made it clear that this is a non-alcoholic beer it and you've got, like, someone swimming with it, that could really get you in trouble. Well, that was – we had the conversation around um, Heineken Zero and someone driving, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you – Are you allowed to do that? uh, Yeah. Can you (laughs) – Funnily enough, I'm going down to uh, the Formula One Grand Prix this weekend as a guest of Heineken <laughs> Zero, just putting it out there. Um, I, 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 I don't know that it's actually come as a result of my questioning of uh, alcohol zero, but you've got Peroni Zero um, sponsoring mm-hmm. one of the Formula One teams. Um, I'm, I'm not going to them. I could have gone to the race date, just say, putting out there, in, in interest of disclosure. Mm-hmm. Said no to Saturday, but I'm going down for Friday because I'm really interested to see how the marketing for, um, it's all work, um, to yeah. see how that work, um, <laughs> the, the, how the marketing for Heineken Zero meshes with the Formula One Grand Prix because you sort of think that that is the clearest example of driving a, driving when you need your wits about you with an alcohol product that can only be celebrating the positive elements of a zero alcohol product. It's just such a fascinating area because it is this sort of – it's a true minefield, right? Like, um, oh, yeah. You, where do we oh, – It's it very was the Dan, nuanced, yeah. It's very nuanced. Even the Dan Murphy's no-alc bar that they had yep. said they're still only letting over-18s in yep. because they wanted to make it very clear that this was targeting current – eligible drinkers to make healthier choices so as opposed grooming, yeah. to so that they're yeah. not grooming. And so that and that's was a, obviously the accusation, isn't it, that zero alcohol is grooming children. But again, you're still confronting children in the drink style with the brands, the traditional alcohol brands that do carry, you know, so... Depending when, on where yeah. it's put in yeah. each individual retailer, right? Well, it, if it's anywhere in Coles, children are going to be seeing it. Yeah. Um, yep. So at nine, you're becoming acclimatized or inculcated yep. with the Heineken or the Peroni <laughs> brand, which Tell was that uh, to again, the UK. <laughs> <right>. Well, <laughs> that's a whole yeah, other discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And but you know when 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 you speak to the um, Irene Falcone from Son Strengths, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. who has a, a dedicated alcohol-free store and has a very strong vested interest in it not being in supermarkets mm-hmm. because she doesn't want to compete against supermarkets, yeah. um, but she still made very very strong points about having the mainstream alcohol brands branded as zero in supermarkets and this this is where it, it's interesting so they have been asking questions about of the, the the big brands how do you feel about this and they're going oh my understanding is that Coles and Woolies are asking for ID or at the moment if you go through the self-checkouts it asks if you're 18 yep. there's no ID checking. So, so in New Zealand most supermarkets ha- have alcohol in them so that is where you the vast majority of people mm. are buying oh, it okay. anyway so like, it's like the like UK. UK right but all the alcohol-free products are in the alcohol section. So mm-hmm. if so, the, it's not an issue then because it's the same branding as the alcohol. Yeah, so they, but, yeah. Th- there's usually like a little stand and this is, yep. you know, non-alc beers and they're all there. But it's within the sphere of where you would be buying mm-hmm. your beer and wine. It's not down the cordial aisle, yep. right? And so there's this thing that says it is still keeping non-alc brands within the house of alcohol, which is why it's so difficult for brewing businesses to think about it because it's it's an alcohol-free product, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, It's completely, uh, you you know, it's the same as or less sugar-containing than bloody, you know, (laughs) fake juice and cordial. So (laughs) when you're looking from a pure health star, right, Mm -hmm. you get into all of those questions around Mm -hmm. where does it line up, it gets – just so complex. Yeah. And quite apart from whether it actually does groom, you know. The, 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 yes, I, I, there's I, a big question mark over A 14-year-old who I know walked in and bought a bottle of alcohol-free wine um, and it actually <laughs> reduced okay, his – Well, they, oh, they, tasted it, it and it, hated it. It was just <laughs> – they thought it was cool. Like it was one of those things. And, they, but, oh, and it cost 40. a ridiculous amount of money that they wasted their money on and it – has made them less likely to consume alcohol. <laughs> um, well, so certainly, in that respect. <laughs> it'll probably, you know, that, that said, then they'll go to the legitimate alcohol-free, heavily mm-hmm. sugared um, or sweetened, yep. however way um, alcohols are designed to get yep. 18-year-olds in. But an alcohol-free beer, you know, 15-year-olds don't like the taste of beer because no. it's bitter and it's got none yeah. of the things that they like. But that aside, the, 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 the second element of that is that major alcohol brands do open themselves up to the perception or the accusation yep. that they're grooming. The, the, the reality is different, but mm-hmm. when, when yeah, you do have the anti-alcohol crusaders who yeah. are talking about you know, grooming mm-hmm. uh, in, in that way, which is highly emotive language, yeah. that is a perception that you want to avoid mm-hmm. just in the political debate. But yeah. anything that is... Um, novel regulation hasn't caught up yes. mm. right so ABAC hasn't caught up well f- oh, food standards yeah. labeling so for yeah. example this is a really esoteric point but um alcoholic beer currently under Fazans uh, alcoholic products are not required to have a full uh, nutritional label. information yeah. panel mm-hmm. but zero alcohol technically does but yeah. most of our small breweries do not have the capability to put on a full nip at nutritional information panel on their products because they don't have significant sufficient testing regimes. Yeah. So um, to identify NG protein fat all carbs, of all sugars, of the things. And so um so if you're making small batch or trialing it, that's a cost to you. So mm-hmm. um Although Fizan's if that get, if Fazan gets its way, we'll have 
to do that for Bear? Um, I'm not confident that Fazans wants a full nip. So mm-hmm. when I was last looking at it with the two brewers associations and the IBA um, on behalf of the Guild, I think Fazans itself was open to something that was um, achievable for small to medium breweries. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows how that that consultation wow. process is yeah. going to unfold. But absolutely. So, for example, even the food regulatory environment has different criteria mm-hmm. for non-ALK and ALK. Yeah. And yet we've got brewers operating in the one space who've got different marketing responsibilities, different food labelling responsibilities mm-hmm. um, to produce these different products. And we're coming at it as an, as an industry or an individual brewery as in – I'm just going to add another product line of mm-hmm. what I already do. Yep. A brand extension. Quite, a brand extension, but it's actually it's actually quite distinct and it mm-hmm. brings with it so much more complexity than, yep. than you would think. So anyway, that was a whole <laughs> rabbit hole from the ABAC. Actually, I'm just going to throw this in. It's sort of vaguely aware. Just um, <laughs> Daniel Ridd in the Facebook group um, has shared an article from Hop Culture magazine looking at Phantasm, which I've increasingly been seeing. They're obviously on the PR bent. Have you guys seen Phantasm, the product? No. Tell it's me about it, It's an Matt. extract from a powder derived from Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc grapes in New Zealand. Wow. Um, it's been developed uh, by Garage Project. Um, cool. You know, the product came from the brain of Joss Ruffle, of uh, founder of Phantasm, owner of Garage Project Brewery. Uh, it's, uh, and... He began researching what makes the wine in his neck of the woods so acclaimed for its bright passion fruit characteristics. And it's basically an extract from the skin of grapes that you add to brewers to make them pop. And it's described as being a little bit like um, MSG um, <laughs> making the other flavours. I don't know if I'd want to make that comparison. Now, uh, again, okay, so now th- there's no way I can say this without sounding scathing, which I'm not, because if you want your beers to have the passion fruit pop um, quite literally, because you're making passion fruit pop um, uh, of, of a beer, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. But going back to yeah, – and it's a topic that we return to over and over and over and over again on the podcast is the thing that made craft beer legitimised, the thing that gave it its revolutionary zeal mm-hmm. was we're going to be different from big big brewers. And if big brewers had started adding an extract to make – candy you know passion fruit flavors that weren't beer related you know non-traditional um brewing they would have been highly criticized i mean i've just pulled up the article because mm. he posted it eight yep. minutes ago but i mean my brain went to multiple places the first place was um new zealand hops are doing work currently on hop oils mm. mm-hmm. right so that is taking what was a traditional brewing ingredient and turning it into a new methodology by which it can go into products b is that more environmentally friendly sending around these these um tiny adjuncts as opposed to trying to use you know a thousand pineapples so so i went down sort of like straight away my brain goes who else is doing it what are other examples what are the environmental impacts and then is it cheaper Mm -hmm. does it mean small breweries can make good beer more economical which allows us to compete with all good questions but is it still beer that's that's but see see, this is the question you know and, and, and this is what always comes back to when the Inverted commas, craft beer movement was inspired by making beer 
beer again. What, malt but, water hops. You, know, you, you had shirts, malt water hops and yeast. It wasn't yeah, we had malt water hops, yeast, <laughs> um, and grape skin extracts to boost the thiols in your um, beer. Maybe it, it, we should post. Did you post that article to the um, Facebook group, Matt, the one that you and I were reading from, I want to call it Brewbound, which was, was this really the story of craft beer? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll post that. Um, because I'll, I'll that, that was out. this conversation about, well, was that really what mm. the movement was about or was it about something quite different from yep. that? Um, and I think, you know, this this is the whole question around what is the next movement in craft? Um, and the only thing that I would put on it is one of the things we've always talked about is craft is about innovation. And so all of these new ways of doing things are fundamentally about being innovative. Yep. And so that is part of what has always been the DNA of craft beer. It might be showing itself up in different ways. Well, this is where the fundamental underlying lie that powered craft beer, you know, that we're different to the big brewers because it's a, 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 a what is it, um, animal farm thing where suddenly we're all, you know, suddenly the, the pigs are standing up and living in the farmer's house mm-hmm. um, where they're doing things that the big brewers wouldn't have done 20 years ago in terms of innovation um, and, and, and the, you know, not artificial flavourings, but non-beer flavourings that are now becoming beer. And that's not a problem. You know, again, if, if, it, if it makes businesses viable and those sorts of things, it, it's a positive thing. And I don't mean to harp on, you know, I'm not, that it's not craft. It's where the whole idea of post-craft world comes from because craft has no meaning anymore. If it is that we're just going to do whatever, it's going to expand the audiences. It's going to allow the brewers to compete with a wider variety of drinks manufacturers. All of those things, you know, are business costs, you know, all of those things uh, are absolutely. But the craft beer movement was essentially we're not just going to be businesses. We're going to make decisions about the purity of the thing that we're making was the argument, and and that's gone. I, I don't think you know that there are some breweries that are islands who still do that. That's not a judgmental thing. That is just, mm. I think, a straight observation of where the market is. Mm-hmm. The bigger issue for me, for brewers or for the beer category, is when there is no hard line between what yeah. is a beer, what is a seltzer, what is a wine-based yeah. cocktail, what is a ready-to-drink product then any advantages that beer was able to complain against, uh, over, um, you know, obtain against any other product goes. Um, and mm-hmm. essentially, the beer segment is just a marketing term. There is no, you know... Yeah, there's no, there's no box to be th- playing There's no in. box to be playing in. Yeah. It, it's essentially... Um, I can see what you're saying. Um, and I, you know, that this is my sort of. I think the interesting thing is, well, what makes craft or small beer, if we're going to use a different term, different um, from RTDs? Um, mm-hmm. I would argue that there's very little, except uh, for the base sugars. I know, I know that's where you're at now, um, and I think <laughs> I'm at somewhere else. But I just, I, I mean, we can park it because we've been at it for a long time mm-hmm. today, but. It is a space that I think as an industry, we shouldn't think too much about what we've lost, but what we really need to do is think a lot about where we're going and where as an Mm. industry, what is some of the things that we want to hold on to that makes us distinct Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I've got a couple in my head that I think make beer quite distinct, but I think that there needs to be this um, – some of the passion is going out of people pe- who have been involved in craft for a long time mm-hmm. and yet the core consumers for craft, the demographics have shifted. So I, I just think there's a whole conversation that this needs to be had. This is where we've come at it, but mm-hmm. this is where we've come – we've probably – Met in a, yeah. no, no met in agreement, but come yeah. at it from different sides. That's right. Um, <laughs> Happens regularly. Oh, and, 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 and it does. <laughs> but that's the thing. I, the, your thinking about, well, how do we take this and make it something? Yes. Isn't the conversation I'm seeing in the industry. I just see people, I, I just sort of see businesses going, this is the next thing. Yeah. Without looking at, well, how do we cement what we are? Yeah. So, so our businesses actually have a marketing voice against all of these other things. And I know that the IBA are, are releasing a report any time now. Yes, their roadmap. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, yep. and so they have tried to define what makes indie beer different and, and hopefully that um, helps create something that people can coalesce around um, in terms of creating a bit of a movement. Um, but if we think beyond indie beer, because, um, you know, this podcast is for all of industry, I, I do think that piece around, well, what makes beer, beer, the way that we consume it, talk about it, think about it, how, what makes it different, unique, special, and how can we build the movement again for yep. the next range of consumers that's the space that I'm really into which is why I am really getting into the sustainability angle at the minute I think that's a one way that we can differentiate ourselves um when I spoke to Richard Adamson just before Christmas IBA chair we sort of touched on this conversation of what does it mean to be he was coming from it what does it mean to be independent and suggested that actually we shouldn't necessarily be looking at some of the things we looked at in the past, but maybe how to be more responsible as businesses, more sustainable, look after our people, uh, think about our impact on the community and the environment, all of these different types of things that could make us different and the better choice for consumers at the smaller end compared to whoever else is in the market. Yeah, it's fascinating because you know, um, we know that Lion does some of the HR stuff the best, you know, in terms yep, of the way yep. that it treats its people. So, you know, it is um, really difficult, but I, I think it's a space that um, as an industry we really need to grapple with because we need to make the case. We need to make the case to choose beer. Mm-hmm. Which is my point. How do you define beer these days? And, yeah, you know, so or, or do we just need to go away and just talk about independence, independent drink manufacturing? Because increasingly what is beer um, is changing as demographics change. I have my own thesis, as you know. Well, we'll, we'll save that for <laughs> another episode because we'll I'm still looking because we do have, thanks to Bluestone Yeast, uh, we have a beer of the week. Um, <gasps> Australia's first and only liquid yeast manufacturer, Bluestone Yeast, have over 100 yeast strains in their biobank and are always adding more. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. And if I said that too quickly for you, go looking at the Brews News business directory because they are proud directory listing holders there or you can look down on your phone into the show notes and the email and the phone number will be there. And uh, we thank Bluestone Yeast for their recommendations. Uh, now, Claire, I believe you've got a uh, beer of the yes. week. Yes. Well, I was uh, up the sunny coast on the weekend and I went to Torella. Talking about sustainability? Talking about sustainability. They're the ones that when they launched, they were talking about how they basically pump their um, CO2 into vertical farms, which is very cool because they're right next door. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, middle of a f- plonked in the middle of a field, 
and then the vertical farms are right next door. And I had, um, I'm not an IPA lady, uh, and I had a hazy IPA in the tasting paddle, and I had to get another one because it was banging. Um, so that's mine. Don't know if you can get it outside Queensland, though. I think Torilla's still very much local. So sorry about that, everyone. But if you're on the sunny, sunny coast, get there. That <laughs> the only thing I know about Torella is it's a great place to take toddlers because they've got the little animal farm that you can visit. So I this is how Liam I select. Wouldn't let me. This He's is a- how I select where I go now. Is where can I take my which breweries can very I take family my toddler? Friendly. Very family, very family friendly. friendly. Yeah. So that's sorry, that's not one. about the beer. No, the, 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 and, and look, mine is going to be again. It's a sort of uh, we, we need to be a little bit careful that you know we've got a lot of listeners. Uh, around the country and uh, a lot overseas, as we uh, have discovered. Um, but this beer is a little bit exclusive as well. Um, I was in Sydney, uh, got to travel this week, um, and I visited Young Henry's for their 10-year celebrations. Um, amazingly, you know, 10 years. Cool. And I got to try their barrel-aged red ale, um, which was just oh. delicious. Um, it was That sounds lovely. right up your alley. So does, if you are it? in Sydney or you happen to be in Sydney, maybe swing by Young Henry's and try out that. I don't think it's it, – I do have a photo of a can here, but I think that's <laughs> a very limited – did bring any back? I, I did. <gasps> I gave it to Sam. You guys. Oh, I see how it is. I oh, see how it anyway. is. Anyway. I, I showed. You guys got the Young Henry's gin. We did. So. Oh, we did, yeah. That's all right. I'm going to get in trouble for that. It wasn't – you guys vo- You guys asked for the gin, I need I to say. I didn't gin, yeah. sort of That's say, true. you know, chops for the Can't girls lie. or anything Can't like lie. that. Me and Sabrina drink all of that. All the things. All the anyway. things. Anyway, so, so Young Henry's, yeah. Uh, well, but, uh, yeah, um, and – Actually, all of their beers were tasting very nice. Um, so, Excellent. But the barrel-aged red ale is my tip of the week. And uh, thank you to Bluestone Yeast for making that possible. Very quick, yeah, we've probably got a few minutes uh, to do the mailbag. Uh, the mailbag is thanks to New Zealand Ale Trail. Head to NewZealandAleTrail.com or at New Zealand Ale Trail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. A comment from Steve Levian on the Drinkwise campaign. Really enjoyed the conversation last week and the Drinkwise campaign sounds amazing. If you haven't listened to it, it was one of those podcasts that was down a little bit on numbers, I saw, but it's hopefully it'll be a bit of a slow burn. Um, it's not the sexiest topic that we did, but if you are in the industry, it is a probably a very important podcast for you to listen to. And Steve shared a photo of a beer from Range <laughs> Brewing that was called Never, Never Have, Have I, I Ever. ever. Um, as he said, this popped up in my feed too via Beer Cartel. Unfortunate timing and now it is a drinking game. Probably not good that it is a, a triple, triple IPA. Oh. Hopefully Range were unaware of this too. I'm sure that were. Like all of their oh, references yeah, are very pop culture and there's nothing about it yeah. that would suggest it's just one of those catchy names. Um, but like no, yeah, it design. was... Um, Ryan Lumby uh, sent in a, a message saying that Smithies, which is the Coles knockoff brand. Yes, um, the private label thing, yeah. Yeah, and, and look, this is one of those things. Clearly, I sneer a little bit about mm-hmm. the um, vertically integrated supermarket brands that contribute nothing mm-hmm. to the industry um, other than takeaway capacity from yep. small independent brewers. But then again, the beer is very good. Uh, having tried it, it's very well made. I believe it comes from Brick Lane. Um, so yep. the quality is there and it's you know one of those things. But Smithies, a Coles brand, are sponsoring the VFL. Is this the first supermarket home brand beer-sponsored sports event? Um, Ooh, I'm not sure on that one, actually. I think it probably is because normally you be don't see too much. Like I've seen some mm. bus centres, shelter ads for some of the mm. Uncle Dan's ones. Tinnies, when that one Tinnies, awards, yeah, that was, was all Coles. walking around. That was a Coles one. But yeah. a major sponsorship, which again, this is the, mm. the devil... 
that you're dancing with if you're listing in the major two retailers. Um, you know, they're coming at you just yeah. as much, you know. And if and you're not, the money to do it. you can't access, you know, such a large swathe of the market. Well, that's ex- ex- Exactly. So um, just very quickly, something that I wanted to, there was a report from the Brewers Association that they do their rankings of the top 50 brewers. Yep. The, the takeaway at the top was not too much change amongst the top brewers, you know, like some have altered. It's been interesting to watch Stone, which I think is nine or ten, mm-hmm. talking about the troubles that they've had. But the one that I really wanted to, and there's a link to this in the show notes if you want to read the um, Brewbound story. Um, it was very interesting that Athletic, which is an alcohol-free brewer, jumped from 65 on the lift mm. list, and it's based on volume, yep. to 27. Um, so, you know... Whilst I seem to have developed a reputation for being against alcohol-free beer, I'm not, but I'm just against the hype that is very self-interested from people who have a reason to hype the product Mm -hmm. to sell more of it as opposed to looking at whether it is actually a significant category. When you see a brand like Athletic jump to the 27th largest independent brewery um, in the US, that's starting to get to, you know, the sort of independent there are people actually buying this product. Yeah. And um, Athletic are going through the process of B Corp right now, so that's ah, a nice little tie-in. So they are oh, been quite, circle. quite sort of intentional about the brand that they're building, the product that they're building, and all sort of that 360 view yeah. of what they were going to build. They were pretty clear on it from the start, it seems. It's testament what you were saying the other week about how you potentially were thinking that with non-alcoholic beer, everyone might try it, but then there'll be a few brands that sort yeah. of swim to the top yeah. and stay there. Um, so maybe athletics one of them. Yeah. It, and as a second one, um, Danny Cialoni, I think, the, the chief oh, executive yes. officer from TV. Carlton United Breweries was interviewed in the uh, AFR. Fina- a- AFR, Australian Financial Review. Um, again, you, ne- you never get the second question in the mainstream media. Like they just, it, it almost becomes a media release because they don't yeah. follow up. Um which is always frustrating. Um, but one of the data points that he gave was he was talking about alcohol-free beer is uh, apparently their Great Northern Zero is the biggest alcohol-free beer in the country. I haven't seen any data, yeah, okay. but right. they, would be, they, they wouldn't be quoting that lightly because of the wow. corporate responsibilities. So um, Great big. Northern Zero. But, um, and alcohol-free beer is 1% of the Australian market now, They mm. was the data point that he said. Mm. So Well, it was interesting in that, Dan, there was an article recently, I can't remember where, about the Dan Murphy Zero Alk Bar, and they were talking about how beer had really been the leader in the alcohol-free product movement, mm-hmm. so that, you know, wine was be- behind... Even some of the spirits were behind that, but beer was leading alcohol-free because they'd nailed the flavour. And I just mm. thought that was really interesting. So, um, you know, beer or, you know, coming back to the what does beer stand for, but beer has always been sort of held at a lower standard um, or uh, not as fancy as wine. And yet now we're going, well, the innovation and the push and the ability to get real flavour out of our products um, has caused a wave – uh, towards healthier drinking um, and beer has been sort of at the forefront of pushing that. And so I go, well, that's not quite the story that you see on the front page of the media when, whenever it's bad drinking, it's mm-hmm. always a beer. Mm. Actually, beer has led the movement towards um, full-flavoured alcohol-free products. So I just think, um, you know, that all wraps up really nicely in terms of 
you know, maybe uh, uh, again, for. that's why I'm um, sharing it because yeah. I'm not against it. Um, <laughs> I'm not against it. But just so everyone knows, just critically analysing the yeah. coverage of it to yep. work out where the truth is. Yep. Um, that's um, my jam. So um, can I? It is your jam, <laughs> and we have it. Show, show title. title. Um, <laughs> can I just so the, yep. in that article, um, number forty-eight of the top fifty US beers is Modern Times beer, and um, as we oh, were going yes. to go out, they the were back door. M- I saw Modern that. Times. Um, their yeah, bank has appointed court-ordered receivership. And so we talked about it, mm-hmm. I think, last year mm-hmm. um, in terms of distribution challenges they'd faced, some of the accusations that they had faced, um, some of the issues coming out of the um, Brian Allen, mm-hmm. um, yep. sexism right, in the industry, yep. so on yep. and so forth. But um, this is the first – and it's really interesting. So um, many years ago when I was an insolvency lawyer um, – uh, during the <laughs> GFC. So we didn't see major bank-enforced activity until a good six to 12 months sort of post-crisis mm-hmm. because, you know, typically banks want you to make good um, and it's very expensive and costly process for them to appoint. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first that we're seeing coming out of the post-COVID world mm-hmm. where you've seen all of these impacts. And yep. clearly that's not just the only one, but there were a range of impacts. Um, and it'll just be interesting for us to monitor whether in Australia we start to see, as we're coming out the other side, we start to see some of those, um, the breweries that just couldn't, you know, kept hanging in there because they thought, well, when the market opens up again, when yep, supply we'll okay. chain gets easier, yep. we'll be okay. And mm-hmm. then it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see whether that starts to come up because now, from now, is when we would start to expect to see, yep. particularly if they've taken lending or, mm-hmm. or have strong, you know, um, mm-hmm. big debt positions, that's when we would start to see that get called in. So, there we go. Nice chat. This, if you don't quite recognise this voice, I have been Matt Kirkegaard, um, editor of Australian Brews News, and the voices that you have heard a lot more of today, which is great, <laughs> um, have been senior journalist Claire Burnett and industry consultant Sabrina Kunz. Thank you both. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Matt. The show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joanne Helder. Um, thank you to our supporters, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Bluestone Yeast, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants. Thank you to all you all uh, for listening you can share your thoughts you can give us your thoughts on sustainability and all of the topics we've discovered today by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au leave a review on your favorite podcasting service it really really does help Um, and also you can join us in our facebook group and on that we're out boom